Uganda is a unique place. It is absolutely wide open to the gospel. That does not mean that these other places that are not seeing as many results are any less important. Um, there are some very difficult, difficult places around the world. And those missionaries that are laboring there don't see very many converts. Uh, don't count them out. They're doing a great work for God. But God's allowed us to be in Uganda, and it's quite a very fruitful ministry. Uh, we've seen m- several churches started. I think we're running right about 12 right now. We just started one last week. Uh, and by starting, what I'm talking about is we, we, we work with a man that's going to be the pastor. We bring them up. We teach them. We train them. And in the meantime, they're going out soul winning. They're winning people to Christ. They're discipling them. They take them through a, an entire discipleship program. And discipleship is not just going through lessons. That's part of it. But discipleship is walking with that person and bringing them to a position that they can lead uh, and leadership. And so as we get them to that point, and God really begins to give us that direction, then we'll go ahead and and commission that church, and they are totally independent of themselves. They're self-supporting, self-propagating, and they make their own rules. They write their own constitution so that they're... uh, If we give them a constitution, they'll say, yes, that's our constitution. They won't know anything about it, and they won't keep the rules. But if they make it, there's ownership there, and they will keep those rules, and they'll abide by them. And so that's why we do it that way, and then uh, they establish it. So we've got many, many things going on. We've got uh, medical teams that come over. We have the, the radio stations. Uh, right now, I've already turned one of them over. I'm working two of them right now. And, uh, and if we get, there should be about two more we're working on getting established in Uganda this, this next year. And if those come online, uh, we will virtually cover the entire nation of Uganda with Christian radio. And uh, again, it's not like the radios that you listen to. <laughs> this is Christian. Amen. And uh, they preach the word of God and are very... Uh, sound. We, we, we do that in English, in Swahili, in Luganda, in Runyankore, in uh, Kinyarwandan, uh, many different languages. In any given service like this, I would have at least four to five language groups in each service. So we have to go through translators everywhere we go. Uh, in the towns, a lot of people speak English. Out in the villages, uh, few speak English and they are in their vernacular, which is Runyankore, where we live. And uh, my son, Keith, lives an hour and a half from us, and they speak Luganda, where uh, Andrew was at up in Mbali, which was on over about four or five more hours. Uh, They speak Bugisu. Uh, My other son, Matthew, will be an hour and a half on the other side of us. They speak Rutoro, and there's not any simulation, I mean, not even close. Uh, Where we worked in Soroti, it was uh, Ateso, and the word for God there is Adeke. Uh, in Luganda, it's Katonda. In Rinyankore, it's Mukama. I mean, there is just no similarities at all. So there's 48 different languages in Uganda alone. Uganda is the size of the state of Oregon. Can you imagine 48 different languages in Oregon? 
Uh, it's no wonder that we're a third world country. I, that's what they call us. You ever heard of a first world? A second world? Is there a fourth? I don't know who makes these designations, but anyway. I think the best way to explain uh, a little bit more about our country and everything and about us, there was a man, a uh, missionary that was a great, great man of God, Bob Hughes, a missionary of the Philippines years ago, and he died, he was dying of cancer, and he preached a, a great message called, I Sat Where They Sat. And uh, not to take anything away from Brother Hughes, a tremendous message, I stole his title. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, amen? So I took his title, and the message that I want to preach to you this morning will give you a lot of what we're doing, but at the same time, give you a little feel for our ministry, our lives. And uh, if you will turn with me in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. Ezekiel, chapter 3. Uh, hopefully we can learn something and uh, be challenged this morning by the Word of God. Ezekiel, chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse number 14. If you are able, would you please stand in honor of God's word as we read? In verse number 14, the Bible says, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went, notice, in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Aviv and dwelt by the river of Chabar, and I sat where they sat. And remained there astonished among them seven days. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. Then I, when I say to the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when the righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. And the hand of the Lord was there upon me. And he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain. And I will talk with thee there. Father in heaven, as we come this morning, help us to understand a bit of your word and, Lord, where we're sitting. And, Lord, that they might see where I sit. Lord, bless this time. If there's any lost, help them to be warned this morning that they might turn from their wickedness, turn to Christ, and let him save them. And, Lord, Christians that are not living for thee, that we might also be warned and that we might go sit with someone and tell them of Jesus 
Lord, bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In verse number 14, I, I want to totally dispel most of the things you, you get in the books or the bookstores, the called Christian bookstores here in America. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I, I just don't have peace about that. You ever heard that? Um, Ezekiel didn't have peace about what God wanted him to do. It says, I went in bitterness and in the, the heat of my spirit. He said, I really didn't want to go. I, I didn't have peace about that. Where does it say in the Bible you've got to have peace about obeying God? It, it doesn't. Look, when God called me to preach, I mean, I, I had a career in the military. I'd been eight years. I was enjoying myself. I was flying all over the world as a loadmaster on C-130s, just having a ball. When God saved me and called me to preach, I wasn't ready for that. And God sent me, got me out of the military, went back to school, and I was going to be a pastor. I wanted, I wanted to be a pastor. And so when I went to school, I was going to train to be a pastor. And God said, you're going to the mission field. I wasn't ready for that. Then as we were pastored in the States, uh, God was blessing. I mean, I'd already turned down two raises so far. And I mean, the Christian school and the church was growing and um, everything was wonderful. And God said, you're going to Africa. I really didn't want to go to Africa. I really didn't leave anything over there that I need to go get. Uh, they don't think like we do. They don't do things like we do. They don't eat like we do. There are snakes over there. That cobra, that seven-foot cobra tried to, that's on our display tried to come to services on Wednesday night one time. He come in there. He was coming along the side. We didn't have a side on our building and and, 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 you know, I'm just finishing up, ready to get into the invitation. I seen one guy jump up, and he ran outside. And so I walked out there, and sure enough, here's this seven-foot cobra coming to our church. We don't let just anybody come to our church. <laughs> and he comes, he, you know, I, somebody sent me one of them videos, that crocodile hunter, before he died. And she said, well, if you pick them up, about three-quarters, you can control them and I thought, okay. So I reached down there for that. Those videos, they've got those snakes drugged, I'm telling you. <laughs> they don't respond in real life like they do there. And he starts taking off towards this tree. And I, I'm saying, man, if he gets in a tree, we've lost him. So I run over there and done a real smart thing. I, hey! <laughs> and that thing goes. And have you ever heard of Cobra? They almost growl like a dog, scared me to death. And I held him in position just long enough for one of my colleagues to get a big, long stick, knock him in the head. We went over and finished him off, went back and finished the service. And then my daughter and I took him home, skinned him out. He's out there on the display. But listen, I, I wasn't real keen about going to Africa, you know. One of the ladies in Kansas City that I knew, she said, well, she said, I'm not going to come visit you in Africa because they got snakes there. 
And then she went out and mowed her lawn, got bit on her leg by a copperhead. So I just always remind her of, of that. They have snakes here in America, too. <laughs> you don't have to have the peace of God to obey God. When God says be baptized, you don't have to wait and pray about the peace of God. You just get baptized. When God said, I want you to go over to Africa... I was the pastor. I wasn't supposed to do that. You're all supposed to be surrendering, not me. <laughs> but I've learned one thing in my life, and that's whatever God says, do it. And so I said, yes, sir, I'll go. Well, we went to Africa, and things weren't like Tarzan movies. They were totally different. The people were different. The culture was different. The the country, everything. They don't have villages like they have in, in the Tarzan movies. A village may be about two two miles long and a house here and a house here and a house over there and, and there's no real meeting place type thing in most of the villages like that. And so we got there and everything was a little different. God doesn't always move like we think he ought to move. God doesn't always tell us to do things that we, we think are just pretty good. We have to learn to trust him. Notice he said, even, even though he didn't want to go, he says, By the hand of the Lord was strong upon him. That leading of God, God doesn't let you forget. God will keep pricking your heart. God will keep trying to lead and direct you. And it says he came to that place, the river of Chabar, and he sat. He said, I sat where they sat and remained there among them seven days. We haven't been in Uganda seven days. We've been there 19 years. And I honestly think by now I can honestly say I have sat where they sat. I remember sitting with Everine. Everine was a lady in our church. She'd First, I thought she's demon-possessed. She'd fall out of her bench and fall on the floor and kind of wiggle around and everything. And finally, we figured out she had epilepsy and got her some medication, and she's been fine pretty much ever since. But one day, she sent a runner, and my daughter-in-law was there uh, around the house, and my wife was out somewhere busy, and they said, you've got to come quick. There's an emergency, so... Uh, we got together, Keela and I, we took off out there down through the different paths and stuff. When we finally found, got down to the little old one-room uh, shack they lived in. And I walked in, and the night before, she delivered a ba the baby by herself. And she's sitting there holding that beautiful little baby, you know, and still not really cleaned up too much, but... You know, she's doing best. She's sitting on the floor and everything. And I'm thinking, well, okay, she's called us to rejoice with her about the new baby and everything. And then I look over on the bed, and there's her two-year-old boy dead. A new one in her arms and a dead one laying on the bed. She wanted me to go bury her boy. I've sat where they sat. I remember when we buried my grandson there in Embadada. If that had been in America, 
there wouldn't have been any problem. You got hospitals here. Don't you ever complain. Let me hear you complain about your hospital care here. I'll be on you like a fly on honey or something. <laughs> Even our Africans, many of them, when we go to soul winning and stuff at the hospital, they say, I can't really stand it. I almost vomit. The stench is horrible. I remember sitting there one time with one of our church family little girl she'd got AIDS and she'd shriveled up you could just you could put your hand around her leg it just emaciated and by now she's got TB and she's not hearing too well and can't, not even a place in the bed normally they have a couple two three kids in the same bed and they didn't have room for her so they just put her on a mat on the floor and so I got down there, and here she is. She's got AIDS. She's got TB and everything. You know what you do? You just sit down there on the floor, and you put your arm around them, and you love them. You know why? Because Jesus does. I wonder what you'd do if somebody that had AIDS, and you know they had full-blown AIDS, and they're looking pretty sick, comes in and sits next to you. What are you going to do? Excuse yourself, have to go to the restroom and then come back in and sit someplace else. We have people out there every day, all the time. That's one reason we started the radio station because I was going to so many different villages. I was out of days. I'm only one guy. And people were dying, my friends were dying. How can I reach them? How can I get out to all these villages? And God said, start a radio station. I didn't know enough to turn on the radio and find the station, hardly. I'd never seen a radio station before. Never seen a transmitter, any of that stuff. With God, all things are possible. And now we've built three of them. And there's not a week goes by that somebody doesn't come to the church from one of these villages saying they've been saved, wanting more information, wanting a Bible, wanting literature, wanting training, something. And we establish those stations and people start getting saved and people start hearing the gospel. I've sat where they sat. I remember when we went up to the pygmies and the pygmies, they're just little people. The picture on this side of my display, uh, it looks like just short people. Well, that's all they are, just short people. They're pygmies. But the other Africans don't believe they have a soul. The Protestant priest there said that we'll let the pygmies come up and worship with the humans. They really don't think they're human. And even our people in our church, when I brought pictures back, they said, well, Pastor, they look like us. I said, they are like you. And we're up there and we're seeing people come to Christ. We set them, just set them down in the grass where they're at. You don't have a nice pulpit and things like that. You just take your Bible and you, you start walking around. We don't have, we're not plugged into electric. We're plugged into banana trees, amen. <laughs> and you start walking around and, and, and teaching them. And, and, and you're just walking through them and here and there. And, and they're just all over. And as you 
give them a gospel. You can see it in their face that God is getting a hold of their hearts. What makes it so unique there is that in in every place you have a, a government book. It's required by government. Anybody goes there, you got to write down what you're there for and everything. They like keep track of you. And so they'd brought me the book, and I'd signed it, and I kind of leafing through it, and I noticed it says uh, Bishop so and so and Reverend so and so and Bishop so and so and Reverend so and so, and all the way, just page after page. And I didn't question it; I just noticed it, and I put our names in, and I gave it back to them. After I got done preaching, we had about 30 of those little pygmies saved. One of them was the village chief. And he was going to take us to another pygmy camp around the mountain there. So he gets in our vehicle and and he says, you know, he said, we have never heard that before. And I thought, Reverend so-and-so. Bishop so-and-so, Bishop so-and-so, Reverend, page after page, and nobody has stopped to tell them. Come to find out the other bishop owns the land, and he was making money off of them. You come over there, and we'll take you to the, we'll take you to the National Park and show you the elephants and stuff like that. He was having people come over, show them the pygmies. He's making big money. And because of that, we got people saved, and we're starting to teach them how to read and write. How do, they could they could speak Runyon Cordy, but they couldn't read it or write it. So we was teaching them all that. And when the bishop found out of it, he got us arrested. He didn't want us messing with his thing. We was taking, taking food out to them because they, they were virtually starving. And he lets them. Makes it more, you know, interesting for people coming over. But when we tried to help them, they run us off the road and had us arrested. And not all the people that you think are wanting to help people, we still were going to try to help them. We had one of the medical clinics that you saw in the video, and we we got a bunch of folks together. We treated about 1,200 people in two days. And one of the guys that got saved in that happened to be the mayor of the city. And I was up there, and we'd started a church up there. Pastor Stephen, one of the little guys in the video, he was he was uh, started a church there. And I was up there visiting him, and the, and the mayor said, you know, he found out I was there, so he sent a runner, and they brought me into this council meeting. And he introduced me to all these council members and, and he said, you know, he said, Pastor, we know what the bishop is doing. And he owns the land, so you you can't go on it without permission. But he said, he doesn't own the air. Would you come up and start a Christian radio station? He said, we'll reach them pygmies. And Way of Life Radio was established. And we're reaching the pygmies. And all those other people out there, they're contacting us, wanting us to get churches established in that area as well. I've sat where they sat. Member of Parliament, he invited us to come up to his home. We went in there and sat down in his nice home. 
He said, my people up there in Sorote need the gospel. There's no church. There's nothing. Would you come up and start a church and a radio station up here? And so we went up there for about four years and established the church and a radio station and Bible Institute. And they're hearing the gospel and churches are being established up there. I've sat where they sat. One of the guys in our church that we, we first established, he he comes out and, and, and he just a just an exciting guy. He really was. He you know, I baptized him and then he comes over and this water is is filthy. I mean it is worse than your river water here, I guarantee you. And we've got cows just right up above us here and he just gets right down there and drinks the water and stuff. It's no wonder that life expectancy is only forty six. Last time I saw Stephen, he, uh, his brother had to help him out to bring him around and set him down in their living room, their sitting room. His furniture was a brick. And he sat on that brick. And his, his legs and arms were about that big around. He was dying of AIDS from his past life before he got saved. He said, Pastor, my family's been trying to get me to go back to my old religion, but he says, I'm staying true to Jesus. We buried him in those banana, that little banana field right behind his house a couple days later. I've sat where they sat. One of the men, he'd been in exile. He was a captain in the boat day's army. And being in exile, he was trying to get all the money he could, and it's not unusual for somebody to come and try to take money from the missionary. You know, it's like people come and want you to buy their diapers and pay their rent and all this, you know. Well, he was going to take that missionary for his money, but the missionary was faithful, and he witnessed to him, and Censure got saved. I mean, he got him a dose. And he got a burden from his... For his people back there in, in Uganda, he's in exile over in Kenya. Now, this guy used to live in the palaces. I mean, he'd walk into the president unannounced any time, day or night. He was, he was one of the top dogs. But now he's got a burden for his people in the village. He came back once, tried to tell them about Christ. They arrested him, was going to execute him. Him and about three others busted through the, the window at night and escaped. He said, all I know is I heard shooting. I remember when he came and they he wanted us to they gave him amnesty and he came back and all he wanted to do was start a church out in his village. So he came, we went out there and night after night we'd stay out there until you couldn't see each other anymore. I mean, you know, the sun goes down and it gets dark over there. And if you're dark already, you can't see nobody. <laughs> you know, he could see me but I couldn't see him. But we're just sitting around there at night and just having a wonderful time and, and just sharing many of the different things. But we got word censure wanted to see us, so we went out there. I mean, it, it about an eight, nine-hour trip out there to the village where he's at. And he, little mud hut, you know, he went from the palaces down to the mud hut. And he brought some of them little old chairs out there and set it in his compound there and and I thought, well, maybe he's having some trouble with the government or something. And he looked at us and he said, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but he said, uh, 
me and my whole family are dying of AIDS. See, we, we've been witnessing to this lady. She's a nurse in the clinic. When we get malaria, she gives us the injections, and she's purposely infected us, my entire family, with AIDS virus, with tainted blood. She hates God and everything about us, and she's so we're dying. One of the most godly men, wonderful man of God I've ever met. When we buried him, there were so many people pressing up against us. They they gave us dignitary. They put chairs out, and we were the dignitaries. And, and so we were sitting there, and people started coming from all over the place and just just crowding so we just folded up the chairs and just passed them over the crowd and we're getting up there and they they literally pushed us up against the casket and we had to preach the burial from there he'd touched so many people's lives since he'd been saved I wonder how many people you've touched I've sat where they sat I've sat at coffins over there that smelled so bad because the Catholic Church wouldn't bury them because they, they thought they needed to pay more money. So they wouldn't bury him. They'd let him rot. The family come to us and would you would you bury him? I said, you bet. And we went out there and the mother, or the wife rather, is standing halfway close to the casket and stuff over her mouth and nose. It was just, the stench was horrible. And I got to preach to about 750 people. I've sat where they sat. And you know what? I too am astonished. I'm astonished at how open the Ugandan people are to the gospel. But I'm also astonished at how few people want to go tell them. It, it, it's not a hard field. Oh, we've got problems. We've got difficulties. My wife on on Mother's Day, just what, a month ago? Come out close to dying. And when she needed oxygen in our big town, there wasn't one drop of oxygen. We had to go four hours just to get oxygen for. But God's good. We've lain there with malaria. Wondering how many of the folks back in America are praying? How many of you that took our prayer cards are really praying for us? When you're laying there and your head feels like it's going to explode, and you wonder if you're going to live or die, And you say, oh, God, help those folks back here in America. I know they don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't think half of them back here in America even care. But those that do, wake them up. Have them pray for us. The churches that support us, have them pray for us. Because we need them. I walked into the living room of my son's place the other day and he's 
he's out of town and doing things and I were there visiting. My grandson comes walking through there and he I just woke up in the morning. I was in having my devotions and he just kind of kind of staggering around a little bit, you know, how the kids do. Next thing I know, he's wallowing on the floor just in it. Stop breathing. What are you going to do? Call an ambulance? There isn't any. Call a doctor? There isn't any. You learn how to pray. I've sat where they sat. And I'm going back as quick as I can. Because those people need Jesus Christ. Now I wonder something. Who are you sitting with? You young people here. I, I was excited to see the young people sitting on the front. Glory to God. I love it. But who are you sitting with? I can't reach your generation. I can't reach your kid, the friends that you've got. Your parents can't reach them. But you can. Who are you sitting with? Some of you, you, some of you older folks, I'm getting there. Too fast. Okay, you're retired. So who are you sitting with? I know a lot of folks that are old don't get saved. But some of them will. Who are you sitting with today? I'm not going to be able to go out to your factories and your jobs and the places you work. You go there. Somebody's got to sit with them. My, my family back in America is lost. My wife's family is lost. And we're all the way over across the world telling people about Jesus. You know what our prayer is? That God would send somebody to our families back here. Who are you sitting with? We're watchmen. We have a responsibility. To tell people about Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. I tell you what, I feel better and safer over in Uganda than I do here in America. You got some weird people back here. <laughs> huh? You'd feel the same thing when you go over there. Walk up to a Muslim, have him rip the track up, throw it back in your face and say, I hate you. You better start learning how to witness to Muslims. You know the Independent Baptist Church is the only group that can witness to Muslims because we are the closest like them. Huh? Hey, we, we believe you're not supposed to drink. That's what they believe. Hey, we believe in bigger families, not just this one and a half or whatever. I'd hate to be that half one. <laughs> we believe in women being modest. There are several things that we have in common. And when you start setting down those commonalities, and then they start saying, hey, you're not like these other folks. Hey, we have the Word of God. And we can sit down with the Word of God. Look, they don't take that, that Navajo Indian version. 
They won't, they won't use it. Why? Because they know that there's so many mistakes in them. That good news for bad men, I, look, it's not, it's no work over there. The Protestants use it, and they can't witness because they can, the Muslims can point out all the errors. But you know what? When you sit down with this book, they're dead in the water. Learn how to witness to Muslims. I've seen some, some of the biggest mosques I've ever seen here in America just in the last month since I've been back. They're coming in fast as you can. You better learn how to witness to them because they need Christ too. We sit down with the Muslims. We see them come to Christ. They can be saved. Who are you sitting with? I, I beg you this morning, you get the picture in your mind of one of your friends, one of your family members, one of your schoolmates, one of your, whoever it is, somebody you know that is lost. Get that picture in your mind. You got that face in your mind? Huh? You know somebody? Now you determine and you purpose in your heart and mind, I'm going to go sit with them. I don't care if you have to sit down with them 15 times or 20 times. You sit with them. And you go start telling them about Jesus Christ. That's your sole purpose. And you know what? Some of you will start winning people to Christ. You really will. I encourage my churches when, they, when they're established, the first thing I tell the pastor publicly in front of the whole community, the village, I say the first thing you need to do, you find a person coming from the farthest distance away and you start a preaching point out there with the, in, the very purpose of building a church, another church there. Don't keep your eyes on yourself. Get it on somebody else. And boy, that starts stimulating and stirring the people right there. And at the same time, you get another church started out there. See, we go to the uttermost parts of the world, and we go to Jerusalem, but we've forgotten Judea and Samaria. There's a whole part of the Great Commission, amen? We've got to start going out and sitting with people, warning them. Their decision is their decision. You can't make the decision for them, but you can sure go out and sit with them. Who are you sitting with this morning? Huh? Will you make that decision? I will go set with that person this week. I'm going to make an appointment. I'll do whatever i got to do. I'm going to go set with them. And if I have to go again, I'll go again. If I have to go again, I'll go again. And keep going. And you're going to see some of your friends and your loved ones snatched out of the pit of hell. Would you do it? You may be here this morning. You're not even saved. Jesus Christ is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no man comes to the Father but by me. 
Jesus Christ died for your sins. Nobody else. Not religion. Nothing. Jesus Christ can save you, give you eternal life. And that's what you need. If you're not saved this morning, they have people here, they have counselors, they'll sit down with the Bible and show you how you can be saved today. How you can know for sure that if you die today, you go to heaven. Amen? What a great thing. God changed my life and my direction, and he'll change yours. May we bow in prayer as the pastor comes.